This message is brought to you by danmullerarchive.com, the number one place to search over 2,500 Dan Muller messages and growing. Now, please enjoy this message. Okay, all right. Shelly wanted to do it, but I said no. So I just want to brag on Dan a little. All right, so like you guys heard my testimony. How many of you have never heard Dan yet? Like four, okay. Well, Dan's got white hair because of wisdom. No. No, I, out, of, out of everybody that I've ever spent time with in my whole life, I've never seen anything quite like this man. And he and, I, he, we, he and I both know it's because of Jesus. Because before Jesus, he was really lost. But when Jesus came, everything changed. And I just want you guys to do me a big favor. Like, if, if I didn't meet Dan, I'd probably... I wouldn't be free. I don't know. I don't know how else to explain it. Like when I came to him, I had like a lifetime subscription to issues. I can't even tell you. Like it was horrible. And when I got saved, like and I incorporated, I shared last night. For those five and a half months, every time I'd call him, he wouldn't tell me what was wrong with me. He would tell me what Jesus says about my life. He didn't say, Todd, you, you, know, you need to go back and fix this. It's because of the Masons. It's because of this. It's because of that. You have stuff in your life because your parents rejected you when you are a baby. That's like horrible. Like once you've been accepted by Jesus, that rejection is over. And so he, all he did was pour that truth into me. And like my whole life got changed. For five and a half months when I first incorporated Jesus, I would call him and like it was a, crazy call and then when I got saved after I'm like dude guess what I'm like I'm calling you to rejoice and tell you great things now but before it was really horrible so guys I've never ever heard anything quite like this I promise no matter what is coming it's going to be the gospel and it will cut your heart so can you do me a favor can you stand to your feet and can you honor Dan Moeller please Thank you, guys. <laughs> okay, yay. Come on, sit down. Be giving me all squirming before I get out here. You want, a, you want a, a quick cool story about the first day we met? You all right with it? Real quick, and then I'll, then I'll preach the gospel. But this, the gospel will somehow be tied in, right? He came in the back door of the church, and you could tell he was distraught. I was coming from the restroom and he said, I said, hey man, can I help you? He said, I just need to talk to somebody. I said, man, I'd love to talk to you. I'm with you if that's okay. And he said, that's good. And I looked in the office, I could tell it was intense. I told him we're gonna go upstairs. So I took him upstairs where I knew we wouldn't be interrupted. Big sanctuary, empty. We're sitting there, it was so funny. He, he started telling me a situation. So how much do you need to hear when a guy's on drugs for 22 years? You just don't need to hear all the horror stories. So he, he was telling me how bad, because he was feeling bad. So he's telling me how bad things were. And, and I heard, I listened for a little, just a little. And I thought, okay, and I'm a pretty good listener, but I, I, I listened enough. And uh, I interrupted him and I said, well, listen, man. I began to share and he said, no, but, and he told me another horror story. And I said, and I cut him off and said, listen, and I'll never forget it. He, I don't know, Holy Spirit's just so cool, because I didn't, think it was so powerful when I said it, but he just went, whoa. But, but I never was a dude guy, right? He, 
he imparted the word dude into my life. So he's like, I'm talking to him, and I interrupted him like the second time, and he wasn't real tolerable. He said, he said, dude. And I'm like, now I'm a dude. He says, dude. And he was a little intense. Not, you know, he, was, he was gentle. He didn't look like he was going to hurt me or anything. He was just intense. He's like, dude, you're not even listening to what I'm saying, man. You're not listening to where I've been and what I've done. And I leaned in and I said, dude. I said, you're not listening to where he's been and what he's done. And here's the problem. You think where you've been and what you've done is who you are. But where he's been and what he's done is the real you. And I suggest you listen. And he went, okay, man. Okay. <laughs> and he just started crying. He's like, okay. And I just went on for a long time. And then I was preaching out this testimony of our lives and what we're created for. And I remember standing up and I said, it was real dramatic. I stood up and he's just sitting there doing what he always does. <laughs> and I stood up and I said, and what you want, you just want one thing. That day when you stand before him, because I promise you, friend, that day is coming. You want one thing. You want to stand before him. And he say, man, I'm pleased. Well done, son. Come on in. And he said, dude, he is going to be pleased with you. He is going to. And, and he was like, missing. and I slid and I said, so what about you? What about you? And he's like, yeah, man. So that was the time we had, and I felt like God just went blink and just marked him <laughs> to where he couldn't get away from what he heard and what he saw, and he couldn't relate, and it wasn't his revelation, and that's why he honored me so much, because he's like, because I can tell the testimony, and I don't cry. When he tells it, I cry. He was telling his band members, no, Jesus is real. I saw him. I met Jesus. And they said, you didn't meet Jesus, dude. What were you smoking? Why didn't you bring some of that, you know? And because and, 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 they were doing, they were smoking pot and talking and, and, and he had already met me. And, and he said, no, I did meet Jesus. They said, dude, you are whacked. He's not real. He said, no, I saw him. He was in a man. And if he could live in that man, somehow I know he can live in me. Isn't that awesome? So here's the deal. Here's the deal. Let me just spring off of that and just stay happy with me. Don't get like hammered by this. He said he had a lifetime subscription to issues. If you have issues, how can you minister to issues? But if you have freedom, you're ready in the moment. You're coming out of the restroom, walking down the hall. You say, yeah, but you're a pastor. No, I'm in Christ. I'm a son way before I'm a pastor. Whether I had the title of pastor or not, I'm ready to give him Jesus because Jesus is inside of me. Do you get what I'm saying? So it didn't come because of the title. It came because of the relationship. And in the relationship is the revelation. And now you're empowered. Now you're empowered to give what you already see and know and have become. So seed time, harvest time. It's not that everybody you minister to is just going to fall on the floor, shake and trembling it up and live new life every day of their life. But God sowed something into him. He marked him in that moment. And I don't think there was any way for him to get away at that moment. He seemed like he tried kind of hard without trying, but Jesus roped him in, and I think he turned out all right. Yeah? So I just wanted to tell you that. Like, like if you're not living in that place, you can't give that place with that kind of impact. In other words, you can't, you can't live self-conscious. You can't live condemned. You can't let yesterday matter so much that, that yesterday is today, that yesterday is always tomorrow. 
It's a new day and it's in Christ and you get to live it in him. So I'm gonna talk about a, a few things right now because I, I feel a real green light to do it. I, I talk about it a lot. It's the word redemption. He, he said, you know, I love this man. He's making me a little uncomfortable. I don't know if he knew that, but I, he, I was like, okay, you can stop now because it is all grace and we understand it. And then I got, I got relaxed when he said, because he wasn't living good either. See, my life was a mess. I, I feel like I was the most selfish person on the planet because I know what that was when it was that way. I don't know how selfish you were, but I know how selfish I was. And to me, it was the most selfish person on the planet. I don't even know how somebody could have been worse than I was. And it just didn't seem to change Jesus. It just didn't seem to turn him away or repulse him. It just seems like he came after me all the more. I lived with conviction almost every day of my life for a long time, knowing that my life was a mess, but didn't know how to get it changed. I could never do anything that was wrong without already knowing it wasn't cool. It was eating me up. I remember trying to sleep with my girlfriend and she said, we can't do this, we're Christians, because I told her I was a Christian because it helped. <laughs> I had one thing on my mind and it wasn't Jesus. Now I have one thing on my mind, and it is Jesus. You see how that looks? <laughs> so, 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 so when she said no, but we're Christians, I'm like, duh. And I'm like, oh, sorry. Man, it's just what you do to me. I mean, you're just all that, you know? And I tried. <laughs> see, I can't even play that thing anymore without looking goofy because it's so bad. <laughs> I probably in the moment I thought I was smooth, you know. But I went home, found a Bible, and threw it against the wall, screamed at it, and threw it against the wall. I yelled at the Bible like it was a person. And I said, I hate you. I wish I didn't know what you said. You're always in my face. You never let me do what I want to do. I hate you. Get out of my face. Do you hear me? Get out of my face. And I slammed it against the wall. 19 years old. Pretty sad. I guess I was figuring I was gonna teach God a lesson. I went and I went to someone's house. They had a bottle of vodka. I had vowed in my heart I was never gonna drink because my dad was an alcoholic and I saw what it did to our home. So instead of walking around saying, well, I drink because my dad drank, I figured I won't drink because he did. It's funny how people say, well, I smoke pot because my parents smoke pot. I'm thinking, well, you should have probably got the message and left it alone. It's just amazing how we follow suit and make it our reason. I was different as a young man. I thought I'm never drinking because I see what it did to our family. It was pure hell and I'm not gonna live drunk. I'm not gonna do that to anybody. It's not good. But that night I was ticked off because I didn't get my way. So I opened up a bottle of vodka and I just didn't mix it or nothing. I just, I figured I guess this is what you do with stuff like this. And I don't remember much, but I figured I taught God a lesson and don't ever get in my face again. Yeah, I really taught him a lesson, huh? <laughs> so I didn't go back to drinking anymore or anything. That was just a one night silly thing. But isn't it amazing when I was 33 years old, Jesus came into my workplace without me pursuing him, just living with conviction every day, which was him pursuing me. I wonder if he turned that off. I wonder if he turned that conviction off. We'd just walk off into darkness like brute beast into destruction like the scripture says. But his love kept that conviction just psst, 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 psst. 
Hey, don't have to be that way. Psst. Hey, you could be different. Psst. It could be different than that. Psst. Doesn't have nonstop. Anybody ever have that when they weren't living in God and that thing called conviction wouldn't leave you alone? It's just absolutely amazing. Oh, I love him so much for it. And at age 19, I yelled at the Bible and threw it against the wall because I didn't know how to get to him. So I figured I'd just get the Bible and scream at it, throw it against the wall. What a knothead in the moment. God's not sitting there when I'm 33 going, oh, I remember you. (laughs) Screamed at me. You said you hated me. You know what I love? When God came to me at work that day, he didn't come in like, hey, it's me. You gave me a pretty good thump a long time ago. I'm I'm trying to get past it. Took me a long time to catch up with you. I've been trying to get to you for 13 years. 14. No. He just spoke into my mind, and this is what he said. He said, you don't even know if God is really real. He didn't say, can't remember the last time you've been to church, when have you opened your Bible last, haven't heard you pray for a long time. He didn't say any of that. You've sure done a lot of bad things in the last 13, 14 years. He didn't say any of that. You don't even know if God is really real. It's not my, the passion, I'm going to blame it on him. It's not my fault. The excitement I get, the way I get intense, and I'm a raging thing when I preach. I think people tell me that. I don't know what I look like. I don't watch myself. That would freak me out. <laughs> but I mean, people email me and say, man, I watched this crazy man on the YouTube. It's Dan Moeller, and I'm thinking, I must look really crazy. And, uh, people say, dude, you look like you're out of your mind. And I always affirm, I'm probably just out of yours. <laughs> Fascinates me. See, it's my story. It's me. This hits me personal. I'm just passing it on. When God comes to me and says, you don't even know if God's real, that means the priority, priority of his heart with my life wasn't get me to pray a prayer and get established to go to heaven. He's been wanting me to know him because he knew that knowing him would transform my life forever. Because then when you know him, you can speak to this man with such confidence and you don't get moved by how he's not responding. You don't get moved by what he's failing and slipping into. You just keep trusting truth because truth changed your life and you know truth will make a man free. And then you know that he that the sun sets free is free indeed. And we teach things like no secrets, no closets, no hidden agendas. If I would talk to Todd, we're not going to do it openly like now, but I know I could get a head nod. You understand what I mean. I know Todd intimately to the degree, I'm not in touch with him like I, I used to be, but I know Todd intimately, not living in secrets, no nonsense, just wants God, weeps when nobody's around, it's just us, wants more, wants God, wants to see everybody's lives transformed, wants to touch the world. You wouldn't take teams into nations if you didn't have a heart for the kingdom to cover the earth. Come on, just think with me. Oh, well, he might have some other agenda. Stop it. There's an easier way than trying to train a team, oversee a team, and take them to Dominican Republic. You, you got a different agenda called the kingdom of God covering the earth, not something else. You see what I'm saying? It's just, it's just too obvious. But what I'm saying is it's possible. 
It's possible to live without secrets and without closets and things like that. See, when you do that, then your conscience remains really clear. And the only reason you do that isn't because you're a disciplined Christian. It's because you know him and you've seen his love. And if you love him, you'll obey him. He doesn't say, if you love me, you'll obey me. He says, if you love me, you'll obey me. In other words, obedience is the simple response to knowing him and loving him. You're not trying to obey. You obey because you love. It's just so simple. It's so simple. So we got to let him love us. So I realized that, oh my goodness, on the night I got saved, he said, you don't even know if God is really real. He didn't say, you don't know if I'm really real. He didn't open the sky. He didn't shudder. He just a little bloop, little thought, bloop. You don't even know if God's real or real. I'm like, whatever. Why am I even thinking about God? And I'm trying to work. And the thought went right through me like we get random thoughts all the time, don't we? Thing came right back. You don't even know if God is really real. And I couldn't pick up another box, another case. I couldn't take another step. It froze me in my tracks. And for the first time in my life, I looked inside my heart. And I saw how selfish I was. And on that day, I would have told you I hated my wife. I would have told you I had reason to. We were separated for five months, and we were not going to make it. And I was rejoicing and celebrating that, throwing it in her face. I'm going to move on, get a new model. Somebody will fall for me. There'll be some needy person out there. It'll work. That's really what I said. I remember looking in the mirror and saying, you're not the best-looking cat on the planet, but somebody will need you. You be encouraged. That's what I said in the mirror in the bathroom. That's terrible. Nobody was created to meet your need. Nobody was created to fulfill your vacuum. Nobody was created. Nobody has the job description from heaven before time to scratch your itch and make your world happen. People are created for God's image to walk in love and manifest his nature. That's the reason men are on the earth, to live by the Spirit and manifest the great name of God. Yeah? I looked in my heart and I saw how selfish I was and I, I, it was the grossest thing. I cried. I, was, I looked like I needed a sedative, a straitjacket and people make fun and they say, you still look that way at times, brother. But, but it's a different excitement. See, I was shook. I was shook to the core. I got real with my own heart. The grace that came on this thing was, in this conviction was so powerful that I couldn't get away from it. I looked at my heart and I saw how empty, how zero, and how aimless my life was. So that thing I said to Todd, and just think about on that day, we're gonna stand before him. Why was I doing that? Why was I so passionate? Why was that a big deal? Because I was in the total opposite arena and I had a big fat zero on my slate. Because the seed never fell to the ground and never died and it's always gonna be alone. If it never dies and falls to the ground, it's always a zero. If you're a Christian for your own sake, you'll find out in that day you haven't accomplished very much. You'll find that life moved you and shook you up and down and you were a product of your circumstances and you were only doing as good as things were going instead of good as he is in you and as faithful he is through you. You missed that because your eyes were on something else. You cannot be a Christian for your sake. You have to be a Christian for his great namesake. There's no other way to deny yourself or lay down your life than to step into his agenda. 
Now here's the deal, that is not a sacrifice, that is the greatest privilege of your life. Because here's the thing, to live for yourself is the biggest burden, it's the biggest lie. It's where fear lives, it's where anxiety lives, it's where discouragement lives, it's where rightness lives, it's where pride lives, it's where discrepancies and animosity and frustration live. When you live for yourself, you invite everything that comes with that package, but it's not what you were ever created to be by God. It's what you became through the fall of man and Adam. You're born into that, gotta get born again so you come out of darkness into the light. You put off the old and you put on the new. And watch this, I'm going to get extreme. You don't bring anything from there into here because this is new and that's old. Are you with me? There's no carryover. You don't want to bring in mindsets and mentalities and motives that were in your life before him. you got to get renewed in the spirit of your mind so you can be transformed. Yeah? So if the way you're thinking and believing isn't producing life and promoting his great name and manifesting the kingdom and causing you to see others for their potential instead of their demise, then you're not thinking in the truth. So you got to constantly challenge that until you put that aside and recognize, man, I was taught that in life, not by the giver of it. The world taught me that, the wisdom of man, the way that seemeth right. Man, that's the trouble. It seems right. And sometimes it's catchy and sneaky. And sometimes there's half truth. And it's really hard to detect because it's somewhat true. But when you look at what it really produces, then you can see that it can't be the Lord. And you and I have to walk through that and work out our own salvation with a high reverence to who God is and what he called us to and what he paid for. Because when we're singing these songs and this little girl's up here singing and we're talking about Jesus and, 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 and things shaking and the curtain tearing and it's like we're all going yeah and I'm looking out and everybody's like yeah it's so awesome so let's step into the full reward the full purpose the full manifestation of his intention when he sent the son see I don't want to miss that let's not come to something like this and take all this teaching and, and get tricked trying to pour new wine into an old wine skin wonder if that's just wrong mentalities wrong motives wrong purpose wrong perspective yeah? It's not an accident that all your life you were told things like what you don't know won't hurt you. Read your Bible, what you don't know is destroying you. And in all you're getting, it doesn't say get blessing. In all you're getting, get understanding. Seeing is a big deal. The enemy works in the realm of blindness. God works in the realm of light. Yeah? Well, what you don't know won't hurt you. Lie from hell lie from hell. Yeah? There's a lot of phrases you can come up with that are the total opposite. Well, love lays down its life for another. What have we all done, some to more of a degree than another, we've lived at the expense of each other. Love lays down its life for another and we've all lived at the expense of each other. We've used each other to get our way. We've manipulated. We've controlled spouses. They just give silent treatments and body language in their marriage to send a message instead of communicate. And then you leave for work and there's tension and pressure because nobody said a word, but they sure made it known how they feel. <laughs> it's called manipulation and control. It's living out of your emotions, living at the expense of another, the one that you usually say you love. You live in a family of four, you cop an attitude and you put pressure on the other three that forces them to have to respond to you, that's living at their expense. 
You're not promoting life. You're not promoting kingdom. There's whatever thing that people do and just stomping off and shutting yourself away and not talking for hours and forcing people to come to you and try to, and then you don't cooperate. That's living at people's expense. And when you do that, all you do is boast in the fact without realizing it that you don't know him like we sing. It's not an accident that we've all lived that way at some level. This isn't mean. Don't get beat up by this. Get challenged and sobered by this. Let this just be a family living room kind of chat, right? Come on. I don't, want, I don't want all this amazing revelation and then not just be able to walk in love and make peace and show mercy and live in forgiveness. Because that's the point. And if we miss that, we miss the point. We've learned how to do church and haven't become her. You can go out in the street and see the sick healed because God loves people, but you can stay mad at your spouse. That's not cool. And then you think because God healed the sick, all of a sudden you might be right and God's favoring you. Don't think the move of God through your life is God's favor on your life. He's not biased. He's pursuing peace through you. She needs to repent. God's using me a lot. Look at all the people getting healed through my life. No, friend, you need to repent and stop it and start loving her like Christ loves the church and at least hear her heart and stop being arrogant and self-righteous. You got to stop sometimes and just back off because your attitude's not producing life. You say, yeah, but God's using me to heal the sick. God will use a backslidden, a drunken man. I could tell you stories that just still boggle my mind to this day. How God has moved through people that were no way positioned for a miracle. God moving through you is not the stamp of approval. It is not the expression of Christianity. Christ-likeness is Christianity. It's the expression of Christ through your life. That's Christianity. Healing the sick and seeing all the stuff we're pursuing and going after is a fruit and a benefit of living in him. Are you hearing me? But I'm telling you, if we see the sick healed and can't keep peace in our homes, man, we're gonna find out one day, oops. It's not cool. It's not cool to have a resume of stuff and then find yourself in some not cool position. It's not cool when a pastor is found, you hear all these stories all the time, a pastor's found sleeping with somebody that's not his wife. Come on, let's not get so desensitized that we say, well, you know, stuff happens. You know, the heart's just evil and it's a wonder God loves us, but hey, he uses broken vessels. And You cannot sleep with somebody's wife if you're in fellowship with God. It's impossible. Ooh, I can feel that one. Let me hit that one again. You cannot sleep with someone else's wife if you're in fellowship with God. Galatians says if you live in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You can do ministry and sleep with somebody else's wife. You can't be in fellowship with God and sleep with somebody else's wife. You can move in your gifting and sleep with somebody else's wife, but you can't be in fellowship with God and sleep with somebody else's wife. Why? Because you're staying in fellowship with light. And in him you're fulfilled. And you don't have any needs. And that thing wouldn't even have a voice when you know him. When you know all about him, you can do a lot of contrary things. Let's stop selling his grace cheap and let's stop thinking we always have to be the way we've been when he's paid a price for change. He said, the pure in heart shall see God. If it was impossible to live pure, he wouldn't invite you. He said, to the pure, all things are pure. Who's he talking about? They must be out there. (laughs) 
goal is knowing him. Knowing him transforms your life. Eternal life is not a prayer that takes you to heaven. Eternal life is a relationship that you have with the eternal one. And his love will never fail and he'll never change his mind. And when you're in, you're in. When you're washed, you're washed. When you're accepted, you're accepted. And you start there and you stay there and you live there. Yeah? It's just really important, people. Because it's really important. If, if we can't, listen, listen, animosity in our homes. I'm talking about not laying down your life for another, living at the expense of another. That's twisted, right? James says, watch what James says. Slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to listen. What have most of us been most of our life? Got a whole lot to say, ticked off, and don't want to hear it. That is not an accident. That the things the Bible calls us to, we have lived 180 degrees the opposite. It's because we were trained by a lie. We were born into the fall of man. And you must be born again. So we were trained by the wisdom of the world. We were trained by the spirit of the age. I preach this everywhere I go all the time, over and over, at the risk of being redundant. But it's not redundant. It's a truth that we need to grip. When we were all born, not one of us knew who we were or had a speck of identity. That's why people hold on to their past so strong because it's the only place they ever found any sense of identity, whether it's good or bad. Because they need a sense of belonging. They track their roots. They track all this stuff because they feel empty and driven and they're trying to find some sense of belonging. Oh yeah, it's true. From the time you were born, as little back as you can remember, you had no idea who you were. You needed things in your life like stability, support, valued, appreciation. You needed consistency, and a lot of us didn't have hardly any of those things because of just where people are living. And your parents might have been good parents, but a lot of us were missing a lot of things that we vitally needed. Some of us weren't missing those things that much, but the truth is our identity was being painted by life unfolding. You began to come in touch with who you thought you were along the way. And as you became conscious and aware and self-conscious, you handled things, you were thrown into things, you reacted to things, you pulled back from things, you got laughed at when you were little, you either became introverted and broken or you became hard and a fighter. But neither way you responded, no matter how you responded, it wasn't the real you. It was just who you responded to. And this thing started molding you and shaping you like clay, but life is not the great potter. And this thing is shaping you and molding you. And, and at a short time into life, I'm talking a short time into life, you begin to think you are this. And you, be thinking, and you start labeling yourself. And people label you. Oh, well, I'm just quiet. Oh, I'm allowed outgoing. And then we do personality types and studies. And we have numbers and letters to name people. Tags. And none of it is the truth. We're studying a fallen man who doesn't even know the Lord. And then we get tricked into saying, this is us. And we do the studies and we bring psychology into Christianity. And Well, yeah, brother, you know how people are, but how is Christ in people? But what about Christ in people? Yeah, but you know how we are, brother. Well, how is he in me? Don't bother with me with how we are. I, I died to that. I want to know how I am in him and how he is in me. 
I want to know what life in him is like. You know why suicide is one of the biggest tragedies, in my opinion, the biggest expressions of deception on the earth? Because men get tricked into taking something that never was theirs in the first place. Well, it's my life. I'll do with it what I want. It never was your life. It was designed to always be his life in you. And when you take your life, you're actually taking his life in you, and you are taking into your own hands the quenching of potential, purpose, and destiny. You yourself are cutting off legacy, and you're taking something that was never fully yours. Why do you think the trap is so strong? Why do you think there's so many that get tricked? Why do you think those numbers are at all-time highs? Because the self-centered delusion is rampant and it's always about they weren't there for me, feel sorry for myself, I'll get even, I'll make it hurt, they'll regret the day they burned me, I'll hope they don't feel so bad. There's so many different motives behind suicide and it's all tragically, deeply steeped in self-centered focus. It's not always just a disheartened person. Sometimes it's an angry person. Sometimes it's a person full of unforgiveness and they want to brutally hurt the people that hurt them and do the extreme so they have to deal with it for the rest of their life. Those motives are everywhere, people. Do you hear how anti-kingdom they are? You say, why are you talking about this? To let us know that when you get born again, you are invited into total absolute change. And total absolute change is what we're called to, but we can't change ourselves, but we have to be willing for it. That's why Todd is preaching constantly in this ministry, relationship, the secret place, go into him. That's why when I've taught all my whole Christian life, I talk about being with him and giving your heart to him. And Father, thank you for another amazing day. I so appreciate you living in me. I thank you that who you are is who I am on the inside. When I look through my eyes, I see what you see. God, I thank you that I always see men through your eyes and see what you've always beheld. Father, I thank you no one today owes me anything, and stress and strife has no voice or power. God, thank you for your Holy Spirit. I welcome you, Spirit of God. Lead me today in light. Lead me today in truth. Thank you for your life. That's prayer, guys. Yeah, that sure beats God. I wish you wouldn't let me work beside Jimmy every day. You know I can't handle him much. If you really love me, you'll have Billy beside me instead of Jimmy. Hello. And God, I don't even know why I'm still working there in the first place. I've been praying for a long time for this job over here. And please, God, would you just please touch my children today? And, and Lord, if you would touch my spouse, that would be good too. That is not prayer. That is a self-centered complaining session and it doesn't pass through your drop ceiling. It has nothing to do with the kingdom. It has to do with your frustrations and your preferences. And all of a sudden you have a preference-driven prayer life and your preferences become an idolatry and become Lord. And your preferences is what you're praying by. And it has nothing to do with what you're called to and created for. You are not here to have a better day than you had yesterday circumstantially. You are here to shine. And until you understand that, you will not have a very good experience through the day. Because if you think you're here for things to work the way you're hoping, you're going to be way deceived and life will always be your barometer. But if you understand you're here to shine, circumstances won't mean that much to you anymore. Even though they're real, and even though you have to walk through them, they will never change the truth about why you're here. And in the midst of it, you will shine, and people will get to know what Jesus looks like without you trying. Why? Because you're re-motivated. You're born again. You're renewed 
in the spirit of your mind. You're transformed because you're thinking like you never thought before. There's a trap on the earth in Christianity today. I've seen it my whole 24 years. There's a big trap, and I've seen it my whole 24 years. 90-some percent of messages in church are benefited or are preached to your benefit and to your well-being. 90-some percent of messages in the body of Christ that are preached are preaching God doing something for you instead of making you more like him. They're all about your favor, blessing, provision, protection. So tomorrow on Sunday, it's reality, guys. You're going to have a whole lot of discouraged people that are attending churches, hoping that their circumstances change, wondering where God has been, hoping he makes it different. If I read in my Bible, some people don't like when I talk like this. They think it's too extreme. I'm not talking like that because they don't like it. I'm talking like that's because I believe it. When you read in your Bible, discouraged Christians aren't in there. It's unscriptural to live discouraged. Why? Because discouragement has to do with self-centeredness and self-focus. You cannot be discouraged if you're seeking first the kingdom of God or God is a wreck and somebody needs to minister to him. You broke his heart and so did I a long time ago if he's like us. He doesn't need ministry. He's doing good today. And he loves you. Yeah? There's no such thing as a discouraged Christian. It's always about take heart, love not your own life, don't seek your own stuff, prefer others, others' interests, others. The whole Bible is all about kingdom-minded, seeking first his kingdom. That can't be discouraged, guys. Come on. You say, yeah, but it's been such a tough road. Try to sell that to Jesus and ask him about his road. Come on, you've never been crucified for being perfect. You've never been stripped naked and hung on a cross for being perfect. You've been shown mercy for deserving judgment. And you've been given the kingdom. And it's the Father's good pleasure to do that. But don't you compare and don't you say, well, it ain't fair and this ain't. Come on. You try to sell that to Jesus. You say, well, it's hard, brother. You're hurting yourself when you say that. You ask Jesus that question. Tell me if he'll say, oh, I get it. He says he doesn't unsympathize. He's not unsympathetic because he bears witness. on That just means he understands and he's willing to give grace in that situation. But if you keep saying to yourself, yeah, but it's really hard, brother. When is it ever going to change? Wonder if that language is keeping it there. We say, well, it's so hard to just die to yourself. Why? Wonder if you get a real revelation that everything he's asking of you is what you never were in the first place, and it's all deception, and all you're doing is handing back the lie in exchange for the truth. How do we Christians deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him and still have so many rights? The right to be hurt, the right to be insecure, the right to be offended, the right to be needy, the right to be needed. How can you die and have so many rights? When you deny yourself and die in Christ, come on, we sang the songs tonight. I'm, I'm, that little girl wrote that yes song, and I'm like, Bleh. I looked at Joey, I said, we just go home. I said, I'm not preaching that song. We just sing that song. Todd could have just got up, representing LCU. Guys, see what we're singing? Yeah. Uh, believe it. We're going to sing it two more, three more times. Let it sink in. Believe it. Have a great day. We'll see you in the morning. And we'd have had a great service. 
That song was that solid. I kept looking over at him and he's going, oh, and I'm going, oh. It's all about dying. The Bible says you died. Your life is hidden with God in Christ or with Christ in God. It says you died. You were crucified with him. Your old man was buried. You, everything about scripture says we died. We did not, did not, did not pray a prayer to go to heaven. The night I got saved, going to heaven had nothing to do with my conversion. It was getting rid of that wretched selfishness that was a zero so the very life of God could come into me and I could finally live for purpose. My motivation was not heaven someday. Who knows I'm not mad about that. Who knows it's awesome and I rejoice that my name's in the book of life. But it's because I'm one with the eternal one and God never made man to die. So Jesus redeemed that truth so we'll live forever. It's just part of the package that was always there. So let's not pull out a piece of the package and make it the prize. Let's let transformed life be the prize. Let's let walking in love and living by the Spirit be the prize. Let's let the fact that the Spirit of God will live in me and live through me be the prize. It's not, man, I got saved, I'm going to heaven someday, but I'm going to ride out to hell now, man. I don't know, I hope Jesus comes soon, dude. It's a hard ride. Well, we've just been praying for Jesus to come back. We've been watching the news, man. It's probably coming close because the world is getting darker and darker and darker. That is not a good testimony for the church because the light is greater than darkness. So if there's darkness, there's an absence of light. And our response is not, come, Lord Jesus, get us soon. You're saying to heaven with me, to hell with everybody else, dude. I prayed the prayer. You read Paul, Paul's a blowaway man. Paul said, I pray that I be accursed, that my fellow brothers would see this and get this. That's incredible. We ought to learn from that. Jesus gave his life, he took our place, he died as us. <laughs> Once for all. Man, we ought to follow that. I'm serious, I'm not being mean. We never died on a cross. I realize we've been through some tough stuff. I realize it's been unfortunate. Don't you understand there's strategies set against every person's life. Sin is trying to win this thing and overrule and overrun. And all of a sudden you hear the good news and you're so hurt and hard by life and you have such a saga and a story built up in your mind and you have it just played out so much and all of a sudden the good news comes and there's nothing good about it because you don't know what I've been through and you don't and where was God? And if he was good, then how come? You see what happens? And you got the enemy there. You got that snake just, and he's just whispering and speaking and whispering, deceiving and deceiving and deceiving. And then when the one that's only the one that's good comes, you can't see nothing good about him because you're weighing his goodness through your life and circumstances and history. Instead of weighing his goodness through a son that was crucified and raised from the dead by the spirit of holiness and the kingdom of God is waiting for you if you'll humble your heart and repent and get over anger and frustration, especially towards the Lord. I don't know who I'm talking to and why you'd even be in here tonight, but there's someone here, you are so angry at God because of your circumstances. God did not do it. You say, well, he let it happen. What he let happen was the crucifixion of his son. He stopped Abraham's sacrifice of his son and said, now I know I'll be sending a lamb. Yeah. 
Yeah, come on. That's why he's good. Well, I lost a loved one. Look, I, I know, I understand. We've all got these stories. I'm not making light of it. You don't think I've lost loved ones? You don't think there's been tragedy in all of our lives to some level? If we're pointing all the tragedy back to God and we've deceived by our own messages that God's here to make sure everything goes good and none of that stuff ever happens, we are greatly deceived. One of the greatest honors is when you have one of those mysteries in your life, you separate him from that and the guilt of that and you never run him in the court of your mind and find him guilty. You already settled he's good because you're rooted and grounded in love and then you stay in faith and faith takes you through the trial. You don't have to lose six, eight, 12 years. You don't have to ignore the gospel and be angry in your heart because of physical loss. How can you love less everything that's dear to your life and, 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 and be a disciple and then get caught up in that? You can't, that's why Jesus says it. Don't let anything on your list keep you from being what you're here for. Unless you love less. Your mother, your father, that's important folks for, for some people. Not everybody, some people are too bitter to make that list matter. But really, that's pretty important, folks. You're to honor those two folks on that list. It's the first command with a promise. It'll be well with you and life will be long. You say, man, things are going crazy for me, man. You might want to weigh that first commandment with a promise. <laughs> Do you honor your mother or father? Do you remember that they weren't there for you? Do you cry and pray for them that they come to the revelation and knowledge of the truth? Or do you just call friends and tell them how bad you had it when you were young? When I got saved, I could have been angry at my dad for never playing with me, for never being there. I have one memory in my whole life. He went down and played wall ball with me when I was a young man. It's the only time my dad ever did anything extracurricular like that. He took me hunting and stuff a couple times, but he was always drunk. He was functional, but he wasn't there. He was away most of the time. And when he would come home, in the end, he was drunk, 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 and you would just avoid him and stay away from him. I could get born again and resent him for that, or I can get born again and see him for the demise and cry for him and, and want to shine to him and want him saved out of that instead of, Dad, you were never there for me. True, he was never there for me, but he's not living water and he's not the drink that'll make me never thirst again. So if I'm trying to drink out of a dry cup, no wonder I'm thirsty. Probably ought to switch cups. Because I got this one calling me over here saying, hey, if you'd asked me, I'd give you a drink. Why do you keep trying to drink and find your identity through your dad? Why are you trying to make up for lost time? Why do you think you need him to say the right thing for you to be okay when I've done the right thing? Why don't you get your eyes on me, on the light, and get your eyes out of this dark place because it's brewing darkness in you? Why don't you come out of that place and come over here so you can look back and see clear? Come on. And all of a sudden, there isn't one ounce of animosity in my heart towards my dad. Why? why should there be? If he really knew who he was, if he was in love with Jesus, if he was filled with the Holy Spirit, would he have lived that way? Well, then I should care that he's missing in that area. I should care that that's lacking in his life. Once I see the truth, I should cry over that and not be mad at that. He can't make up for lost years. Regret would eat us alive. Thank God for the gospel. How can we claim the gospel and stay in regret and stay in anger and stay mad at the people that hurt us in the past? In fact, how can we believe the gospel and even be hurt by the past? Oh man, that's amazing response. How can we believe the gospel and stay hurt by the past? I didn't say sing the gospel. I said believe it. The answer is you can't. When we stand before God, we'll be judged for one thing first, whether we believed or whether we didn't believe. He's not gonna say, did you pray the prayer or did you not pray the prayer? 
He's going to say, did you believe? And if your belief is a yes and you did believe, everything else will fall in place. You ought to probably really read your Bible on some of this stuff. The sheeps and the goats story, there ain't no mention of a salvation prayer. There's just a group that saw the need in others and laid down their life to reach it. And there's a group that only thought for themselves. The one were called sheeps and the other were called goats. It didn't say they prayed a certain prayer. It said they loved others and the others didn't. That's the only difference between the sheeps and the goats. We made the sinner's prayer. We made that a prerequisite. It's maybe 90 years old right now, the sinner's prayer. The gospel's a little older than that. And I'm not against the sinner's prayer. It's a neat tool if the gospel's preached. But we have stopped preaching the gospel with the sinner's prayer. We just make the goal heaven, not transformation of life. So now we don't even talk about water baptism or we fight over the technical side of it. When in the book of Acts, they never got saved and didn't get baptized because it was in the message. Water baptism was the strong part of the message because they were gonna die to live. We don't preach that now. We say if you die tonight and don't know where you're going, pray this prayer. It has nothing to do with dying to live. It has to do with, hey, get covered before you die. No, the message has always been go ahead and die first. Because you can't live until you die. You don't reap until you sow. You can't live until you die. Has God worked with our message? Is he merciful? Yeah. Why do we always force his mercy? Why don't we just tell people the truth? You've been living for yourself. You were never created for you. You're blaming everybody around you and you think everybody's your problem. You've been your own worst enemy because every day you live for yourself. So you'll always live at the expense of others. You always need others and people are always set up to fail you and break your heart. Come on, dude. When I'm telling you that, you can tell that's not cool and that's not healthy and you'll never thrive. How about dying to that one little thing called living for yourself? Why don't you go ahead and give your life over this way to him because he will come in and change everything, man. That's the simple gospel. I found it, it's in Matthew 16. He said, if you come after me, deny yourself. It's first on the list. Why? You're never made for you, it's simple. You're never made for you, you're made for his image. So what I'm talking about here right now is redemption. And redemption is something that brings us back to original value. The word literally means brought back, bought back to original value. Are you with me? So that's why I spent all this time talking about mindsets, precepts, motives, will, reason for being. That. That stuff, okay, I'll qualify that. That stuff, in my opinion, is more important than everything else that we focus on. It's important to know your sins are forgiven, but once you know your sins are forgiven, where, where do you go from there? You just say, well, I'm forgiven. Well, no, you, that's supposed to touch your heart in such a way that it works forgiveness in you, and all of a sudden you look through the same eyes that forgave you, and all of a sudden you see men the way you were seen. See, the gospel's so healthy. It's the, it's the two laws that you can hang everything on. Love God with everything you are and love your neighbor as yourself. The problem is we don't even love ourselves sometimes in a healthy way. It's either vanity or deception. It's condemnation, nitpicky, fault-finding, inner shame, rage. Uh, you know, how do you fulfill the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself? That wouldn't look cool. Some of your neighbors are saying, hold off on that till you get a revelation. 
If I took a survey and you'd be honest, there's a whole lot of us in the room that have struggled with liking ourselves, wishing we were different, wishing we were changed, envying one another, comparing ourselves among ourselves. A lot of it's petty outward stuff. Why couldn't I have her nose? Why couldn't I have their eyes? Why'd I have to get this stupid hair? What happened? Why did I ever get this? And all of a sudden, everything outward that doesn't matter seems to matter. It's who you are and the person you are. And then we put pressure on each other because we paint pictures of what perfect is and we paint pictures of what desirable is and what beautiful is. And now women from a very young age are under an absolute pressure that we never talk about. It's tragic to me. I've spent more time crying about that than you'll ever know. Praying to God and asking wisdom and because I watch it just press people down all the time. I wonder if it's the person you are. I wonder if it's that inward person of the heart. I wonder if it's you walking in love and shining and making peace and showing mercy. Yeah? So redemption is what we're talking about right now. You're brought back to original value as if sin never happened. If you look in the Bible, you'll see that you were forgiven of all sin and you were cleansed of all unrighteousness. You can find many scriptures that teach you that. First John chapter one is one. There's, it's in Romans. There's a lot of scriptures. Romans says three times you're free from sin. Three times. The Bible says that. Wow. It'd be good if we'd believe that one and wake up and stop trying not to sin because then you're already sin conscious. Just wake up and enjoy being his. That would be a better start to your day. Yeah. <laughs> Some of you might want to even act this thing out, man, especially us guys. Get really free. Nobody's looking. You're in your bedroom, you know. Say so your wife already downstairs making breakfast or went to work or she's with the kids. You're just in the room. You just act like you're slipping on your robe. Just walk over to the mirror. Wow, you've made me righteous. The robe looks good on me, Lord. It's white and I feel clean. I am so glad to be alive in you. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah? Put on your robe, man. Walk in righteousness. Live as if you've never sinned because he sees you as if you've never sinned. Stay sober and if you do sin, if you do, First John doesn't say when you do, if you do, let's not decide that. Let grace and faith decide that. And let's not fight over and get freaked out about it. Let's be able to talk about it. And if you do, don't be discouraged, condemned, crawl in a hole and die. Don't judge yourself and question your salvation and say, I'll never get there and let your mind spin a million miles. If you do, you have an advocate, Jesus the righteous. And he's the propitiation for your sin. That means mercy for your sin. So guess what I found? I didn't find a way to sin and get away with it. I'm not teaching some cheap grace. I found a way to be free from it. And all of a sudden what I learned is when I live in this place called righteousness, it produces its fruit to holiness. And all of a sudden my life is in holy conduct without me trying to bite my lip and be holy because that would be works and I'd need to get a trophy or an award. But all of a sudden all glory goes to him and I am what I am by the grace of God. And he deserves the glory. Yeah? Come on, this is really simple and this is really powerful. So, so if any man be in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, what is it? If any man be in Christ, he's a what? He's a what? New, new, new isn't old. <laughs> he's a what? New, new isn't old. He's a new creation. Old things, now we're talking old. What about old? Old things have passed away. 
See, the just live by faith. Your biggest fight in life is not the devil, it's not people, it's not your boss, and it's definitely not your spouse. Your biggest fight in life is staying in faith in the midst of it all and continuing to believe who you've become now that he came. Your fight is faith. Not living by feelings, not letting circumstances decide your mood and your motives, and not letting others have that place in your life that he should obtain. Your, your disposition, your attitude, your excitement, that should come from nothing other than knowing him. You're called to fight the good fight. Why is it a good fight? Because you wouldn't think a fight's good. Well, you tell a boy growing up on the street if a fight ain't good if he won. He might feel like he took a couple shots, but if he won. I grew up in this city, man. I remember coming home one day, I couldn't even talk. My lip was so messed up. I was like, man, they said, dude, who busted you up? Oh, man, he didn't bust me up, man. He didn't bust me up. You should see him, man. Both his eyes, he can't hardly see, dude. It was a good fight to me because he looked worse than me. <laughs> I couldn't even feel my lip. I was so excited about it. he looked worse than me. It was a good fight. Why? You win. Now, I'm not talking about a physical fight. I'm talking about the fight of faith. Why is it a good fight? Because if you stay fixed on who you are now that he came, you won't get drawn into all this craziness. You won't live by feelings. You won't let the moment decide you. You'll let what he's done decide you, and you'll live in confidence in Christ Jesus. Are you with me? We're gonna do something, I'm running out of time. Oh, goodness. Can I do it? Okay. I do this everywhere I go, I do it all the time. It's called redemption, I pray for it. You say, why isn't it just regular old healing? Because we're gonna pray for things right now. It's not, it's not just, it just does, it fits in the basket of healing, theologically, but I make it a separate thing, why? Because a lot of times people feel like they deserve what they're going through because they put themselves in it and they should have known better. And we have these justifiable reasons for being where we're at. And it's amazing how we tend to do that to ourselves when grace is saying, go ahead and go free. People say, well, yeah, but you know, I made my bed. I need to sleep in it. How about the bed he made you? I bet it fits you better. I bet the sheets are way cleaner. In fact, those sheets on the bed he made you have never even been slept in, ever. They were made for you. Probably a crow in the bed. And it's a king bed because you have to be big enough to sleep with the king. I used to get mad. I used to get mad. I, I, I get not mad, mad, unforgiveness mad, bothered when churches you travel and they, they would put you in a king bed in a hotel and they give you a special room. And I'm like, dude, I would sleep on somebody's couch. I'm like, stop. And they're like, why would you use the finances to put me in a king bed? I'm not requesting a king bed. I don't need a king bed. I mean, I, I wake up in the morning and it's like, Jesus, Jesus. And I go, oh, oh, okay. It just scares you, man. You're like, it's so, you're like, King beds are big. I don't need a king bed. I, I don't. I don't. I would lose my wife. Maybe that's why people like king beds. They lose their spouse in a king bed. Yeah. They can get close when they need to be and want to be, but then they can get far enough away. Man, I thought I lost Jesus in a king bed. I was like, Jesus. I was lifting pillars. I was upset, man. I, I went to this church, and they gave me this room. I found out how much it cost, and I was like, that is unnecessary for me. And I'm not being falsely humble. I promise you, I would sleep on an air mattress, I'd sleep on a couch, and I would sleep like a rock and be fine and wake up and be blessed. I just would be. 
And I'm like, I didn't need that king bed. On the last night, I had such a good time at the church, and I went in my room, and I said, you know what? I finally got over it. I said, hey, they got me the bed, and they don't care whether I sleep in it or not, and I'm upset or not. I just got in the bed, and God did something cool for me. I won't get into the story, but I went into the bed, and I just laid there on my last night, and I finally got free, and I just enjoyed the king bed. But Because well, what I said, I walked in the room, and I said, Lord, I finally get it. If I'm going to go to bed with the king, I probably ought to have a king bed. I'm going to sleep in here. And I just crawled in the middle and laid back and I just enjoyed my, my time. But I don't know why I took all the time to say that, but <laughs> I don't, I don't. Other than don't be needy and don't think things have to be the way you think you need them. And make sure things are the way Jesus paid for them to be. That you're thankful, you're appreciative. Man, you are never a complainer. Why aren't you a complainer? Because I could show you two places a Christian never complains. Why? Because he's seeking first the kingdom and that ain't nothing to complain about. Paul and Silas couldn't even find a place to complain when their backs were hanging open. They were chained to the wall. All they could do is praise God. Don't you be a complainer. That's a dead giveaway to the enemy that you still think for yourself and things ain't good enough. And then a whirlwind of stuff comes hammering down on your life. And then you say, why is God letting all this happen? He's not your position for it. Don't you live selfish? Look, I got to move on. I'm already on borrowed time. I see a minus up there. That's not good. I'm trying to justify right now. It's so unrighteous. I'm like, Todd's always in minus. Todd's always in minus. You see how we're blame shifting now? We're going to have to throw all our messages away. He said, I learned it from watching you, brother. <laughs> I would think he's right. <laughs> Here's what we want to do. Here's what I've learned. I've learned that people are sincere, they're born again, and they're not the person they used to be. I've learned that people don't want to be the person they used to be. They're still struggling a little, but in their heart, they cry to self to sleep. They don't want to be that person, and they still need to grow and learn things in their identity. But I've learned this. I've seen it, I've seen it so much now. There's things that we carry into our born-again experience that had troubled me. Back in the year 2000, I went to a ministry called New Life for Girls. And I, I hung up the phone and scheduled the meeting and it was a recovery place. It was a place where people were getting restored and back on track and, and, and they had been prostitutes and drug addicts and they slept around. I mean, in those days, I mean, you gave somebody 20 bucks for sexual favor, they stayed high and you went with your little favor. So bad. And, and you know the other thing I'll throw in there, we, we always hard on the women, we judge the women. We think, oh, I can't believe they do that. And we have all kinds of names for women in that lifestyle. What about the men that are facilitating them? What, what about the men that are called to minister freedom to them that are taking advantage of their vice? They're, they're gonna be just as judged, they're just as lost because they have totally been blinded to the value of life so they're taking advantage of another for flesh gratification. I promise you the men need just as much ministry as the women. The fact that you would entertain that and facilitate that just shows how lost people are. You, you should be ministering life to her, not taking advantage of her for gratification, not fueling her addiction, not empowering her to get high. You should be laying hands on her and seeing her set free. That's what men will be judged for in that day. 
that they lived outside of why they were here. Pretty intense, huh? Here's what I've learned. I've learned people get born again, and I'm not totally sure why, but sometimes, I think a lot of times it's the messages we preach. We're just trying to get them to go to heaven. We're not preaching redemption. We're not preaching born again, new creation, and all that, and water baptizing, because that's where redemption takes place. Anytime you release faith, you find grace, and you're saved by grace through faith. No faith, very little grace. People come into their new life in Christ, but they've lived contra contradicting lifestyles, so they carry into their new life marks from where they've been. Young girls get in dark seasons, and, and young guys, and they cut. They cut their bellies, they cut their arms, they cut their legs. It's amazing how prevalent it is. I've seen it now, and it's very prevalent. Redemption says that if you live that way and you go, duh, what was I doing? Man, I don't want to do that to me anymore. I don't know why I did that to my body. Redemption says that when you become in Christ, you become a new creature. What it says is that he makes all things new. So what's he saying? He's saying he'll take those away and give you new. Meaning skin. I was in a Mennonite church. And the boy took a blade in his youth and mutilated his private area. This makes you, you can hardly tell this stuff and not cry. Now he's 20 and he's married, so his wife's very aware of the mutilation. Very aware. He's in a service just like this, and we had one of these little things, and he's coming down the aisle. Got a little word for him, spoke it, he stood and cried. The Mennonite church cried because they knew him from a little kid, and they went, wow, this is the Lord, and they all, the fear of the Lord came. We just prayed. I didn't know why he was coming up. I didn't have discernment. I didn't know he mutilated himself with a razor blade in his private area. We just prayed for everybody. Next morning we come in. He can't function. He can't talk. He's shaking. And his wife has to talk for him and she's having trouble. They go home. He doesn't have one scar, one piece of missing flesh on his whole body. Why? He makes all things new. He will never see that boy for that season. He will see that boy for when he turned his heart to him. And if God won't judge the man for where he's been, then why is where he been judging him? If old things pass away and all things become new, then that testimony shouldn't surprise us a bit, even though we surely give honor to him. STDs, countless STDs have left people's bodies, beyond, countless. I tried to keep track of hepatitis testimonies for nine months and stopped. Not, I'm not being arrogant. Hepatitis testimonies, just clean. I've seen several people on liver transplant lists hear this message and their livers got restored and the hep left their body through the truth. Not through my anointing through the truth of redemption, the blood of Jesus Christ. You know what it's doing? You know what the blood of Jesus is doing? Speaking better things. 
And you're saying, yeah, but I slept around. And Jesus is saying, yeah, and I hung and died. Yeah, but I, I stuck a needle in my arm. Yeah, and they beat me with clubs. And he takes that thing off of you. And he puts new life on you. You might have been out and you might have binged. You might have did what I did. You might have cracked that bottle open because you were mad and you just went a little farther than you've ever went and you just crossed the line and you've never had the same concentration. You haven't been able to retain memory like you used to be or something's different in your body and you mark it to that night where you binged. I'm telling you, that thing can leave you tonight. Your mind can be restored. Your organs can be made whole. Your blood can be washed clean. Are you hearing me? If you were a cutter, Jesus can go like this. And just make all things new. Oh, he can. And he does. So I don't need to stretch this thing out. I'm already minus. Oh, I'm not even minus. What a prophetic revelation of redemption. LCU is rocking. Them guys are rocking. I'm not minus. I'm right on time. Oh, I'm so pumped. I think I'm going to tell another story. No. <laughs> it's a serious moment. Who's, is that young man that played the keys for you here? Is he here? Oh, he's here. I see him jump up. Come on, my man. Oh, I was going to ask if he's okay doing it, but the way he's running, I don't have to ask. Romans 5 says, that rarely would one die for a good man, or seldom would one die for a good man, and scarcely would one die for a righteous man. But God sent his own son while we were all yet sinners. Yeah? And he did that to reconcile us back to him through his son. And then it says that because he did that, if he reconciled us through the death of his son, how much more will he save us from wrath through that same son? Mercy triumphs over judgment. In the world, there's no mercy. You get what you deserve. Sometimes you don't even get what you deserve. And sometimes people live a certain life and don't get what they deserve. Some people do something one time and get marked for life. It's just there's no fairness and there's no mercy. But in the kingdom of God, there's mercy. You can just play, man, or somebody. Yeah, thank you. That's awesome. Here's what I need you to do. I already see tears out there. And here's what you need to do. Because see, people have made mistakes. You could be 17, 18. You just crossed the line and you, and you, you knew you never would. You were 13, you put your little vow ring on and you were, you were doing good and you were sincere that night at youth camp. And now you're 17, 18 and you're like, yeah, I know it's love and something got caught up, emotions, whatever. And there you were and all of a sudden you come out of this thing and wow, man, I didn't just do this, I got this. None of that's fair out there. It's just no mercy out there, but the kingdom is full of mercy. I've seen people live that way for years and never come out of that thing with anything marked. I've seen people make one mistake and get bit for life. There's people with uncurable stuff because they made a mistake. 
Jesus sent his son, he died on the cross, your heart's changed. You gotta say, that is not who I am anymore, that is not my life, and here's the kicker right now. Watch the kicker. If I could go back and do things over in the light of what I know now, that story would look different. Who can honestly tell me in here that if you could go back and rewrite a few pages, you'd have a different story in your book, knowing what you know now? Here's the cool part. There is not one of us in here that hasn't sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's a lot of us in here that deserve a mark and never got one. But there's some people that got marked. There is no judgment here. When you receive prayer tonight, here's what you're actually saying. That is not who I am and that's not who I'll be. Jesus shed his blood for me and the blood is speaking better things and he is the redemption of my life. I'm telling you, it's not cool to be born again and have the Spirit of God in you and have hepatitis steal away an organ and take off 10, 12, 15 years of your life when Jesus gave you new life. It's not cool back home for the heroin addict to get free at our church and then the social services release her children back to her from out of state, which is unprecedented and no time in the history of their state had it ever happened. Why? Because the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And like a mighty river, he'll turn it wherever he wish. And sometimes people do things in authority and don't even know why. But it's because God turned the hand. But now she has her three kids and now she's not a heroin addict and she's not a prostitute. And for the first time in her life, she's free and ready to be a mother. And now they tell her you're going to die because your liver is shot. Hepatitis has destroyed the function of your liver and you don't have long. I don't care what anyone on this earth tells me. That is not the will of the Lord. He has come to give her life and life more abundantly. So what do you do? Of course you pray for her, but you preach redemption. And you tell her why that thing has to go because she is no longer a prostitute. She is no longer a heroin addict. She is a woman of God and a mother in God. And he is a redeemer. You know what's cool about these stories? That was a long time ago, that story. That story was probably from the year 2001 or two or three or four, maybe four, when I was really strong in this revelation, fresh and preaching it like a madman. I still preach it. I just ran into her in Walmart. She was on the liver transplant list. And they monitored her every day, every other day, just to tell her how close she is to not making it and dying, checking her numbers. And she heard me preach this message in a service and she had to leave the service because of an appointment to get her liver numbers checked. And she's on the list, but I know a better list she's on. She got in the car, she had a fit. The message hit her heart. Revelation hit her. Whoo, she threw a fit. Jan threw a fit. She said, this is ridiculous. I can't have hepatitis. I am not a prostitute. I am not a heroin addict. I am a woman of God. I can't have hepatitis. This thing has her. And she's just, she's ranting. She's just like freaking out ranting. She said she didn't want to, I'm done going to this doctor. Blah, blah, blah. She wasn't mad at the doctors. 
She just, ah. But she calmed down, ah, drove to her appointment. This fairy tale. You're either a very twisted man making something up and you really need deliverance or these things happen to people because he's good. She goes and she gets all her numbers and her liver's working and she has no hepatitis and she's never had a transplant. <laughs> Guys, that's one story. It's phenomenal, but that's just one. I remember two babies I had to picture on my refrigerator because they were born to a woman who was an atheist who could never get pregnant, who came to a service, saw ears open up and, and got saved and couldn't get pregnant through a word of knowledge. She got ministered to and conceived twins. But she had them at six months old and they were both gonna die, one overnight and one in the next day and a half. Talk about a rug pulled out from under a young lady. I watched the Lord put lungs in that baby and restore both those children. And I had their picture on my fridge for a long time, but it was hard to eat. I'd open it up and I'd cry and I had to take their picture off my refrigerator. <laughs> but I got weird one day. I got weird one day. I don't know why we do this stuff. I think we want God's big hand to come down and pat us on the back or something or rub our heads. I looked at that picture and I got real sentimental and I cried. And I said, Lord, if you never do another thing through my life, that was worth it. And I knew what I was trying to say, and the Lord wasn't about it at all. He said, absolutely not. And I'm like, and he said, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of things I'm yet to do through your life. I said, forgive me for the thought. <laughs> So let's just add to the thousands tonight through this revelation. If you marked your body in any way and you're carrying the mark of yesterday, don't you be ashamed. It's nobody's business what it is. It's our business that you go free. I need you to stand to your feet right where you're at. You don't even have to come down here. Please stand to your feet right where you're at. Just stand to your feet right where you're at. Come on. I need you to stand to your feet. Don't you be embarrassed. Don't you wonder what people will think. I'm still waiting. I know when we're not ready. Don't, the longer you wait, the harder it will seem. Don't you miss this moment. Come on. Come on. Just stand to your feet quickly. You know it's you. Just stand to your feet. When I was saying that, I, had, I needed at least a dozen when I was getting emphatic there. About four have stood since. I think I still need about six to eight more. So let's do this together. Well, look, we got enough people to pray for. We could just pray. I'm already late. We got enough people to pray for. Why am I petitioning? Because this is real. Thank you. I need you to stand quickly. We're not done. I need you to stand. Thank you. Thank you. You know, my heart was towards you the whole week. I was looking. You see me looking at you a couple times? Did you catch me looking right at you a couple times? My heart's been going out to you all week, and I didn't know your story. When you got up here and I heard your story, I was like, man, now I see why my heart. He doesn't let you, don't you look back, don't you give up, don't you be discouraged. At a very young age, you had this thing on you that was almost like a discouragement, and, and it, it was like, what? Never, man, never. You have every reason to be excited. Jesus loves you, dude. Your whole life is in front of you with purpose. There's so much potential. Don't you miss this thing. Don't you look anywhere else. You have found the way. Amen? Don't you look anywhere else.
Okay, I'm asking the Lord. I'm not being weird. I need three more people. You stand and we'll pray. You're still sitting and you fit. Did you just stand? Did somebody just stand there? Yeah? I need two more. Two more. Wave your hand when you stand. Now you have to wave your hand, so, okay? Wave your hand. Did he just stand? Good. That's my three. We're going to pray. Somebody touch them. Get a hand on them and just believe God for redemption. Just get a hand on them. Just believe God for redemption. Listen, if you stood up, I want you to do this one thing in your heart. Listen, listen. If you stood up, do this one thing in your heart. Answer this one question. If you could go back now that you know what you know and you could change something that caused you to have to stand, if you could rewrite that night, that book, that chapter, would you make a different choice today being who you are today than what you did in that history? Would you do different now? Yes, you would, right? That's how redemption works. Repent for the kingdom of God is here. Change the way you've been thinking. You say, that is not me anymore. And if I could do something about it, literally, I would. But I can't go back and change it, but I can change. And when you're changed, the blood that's speaking better things brings what it paid for upon your life. Are you hearing me? It's how it works. So just say, be whole, be redeemed. Every trace of yesterday come out of their life. Spirit, soul, and body, blameless till the coming of the Son of God. Total redemption in Jesus' name. Now, you can just lay your hand on them and just release the Spirit of God. Believe Holy Spirit will come and bless them and touch them. I'm going to pray some things over these people from my heart that I feel like I, I want to pray. Father, I just thank you that they stood, that they had the humility to stand. We've already played, prayed for a clean sweep. I just pray that they have the grace to never, ever, 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 ever look back. That God, your grace has brought them into their day today and their future and every day to come, that yesterday would never be tomorrow, yesterday would never be tomorrow, that there'd be not one ounce of condemnation or regret that would work in any person's life that stood. Father, I just thank you for an absolute wholeness upon them, their perspective, their perception of their own life, and their perception of your love. I thank you for making people brand new. This gospel is like the little worship leader said, she was so amazing. She said, it's good news. And then she said, it's the best news. This gospel is the best. Jesus, you're the best. Father, you're the best. And we love you and we thank you for what you've done and how you've loved us. We thank you for how you've touched these in this room tonight. You are absolutely the best and you are worth our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Does somebody, uh, I got to stop. I'm, I got, yeah, I got to just stop. Does somebody want to close? You want to come out? You want to release them to do anything? Let me do this. Let me do this before you leave. Who didn't qualify for that altar call and redemption and you didn't carry some into your life, but you still actually need healing. You're in this room and you say, man, you know what? I got a sports injury. I got a physical thing. I got a disease. I got a sickness. Who needs healing in this room? Raise your hand. Come on, Power and Love Conference. Look around. You go find somebody. Introduce yourself and pray the kingdom over that thing. Would you do it? Love somebody before you leave. Leave your hand up till somebody gets to you. Would you go pray for one another? Would you be the body of Christ? This is why we're here. 
We don't need a lion. You don't need one of us. The Spirit of God is here and Christ is in you. Raise your hand and leave it up till somebody gets to you. Come on, move around, find somebody. We love you, we'll see you in the morning. Go find somebody and pray for them. Love them and give them Jesus. Okay. If you enjoyed this message, please visit danmullerarchive.com to find over 2,500 more messages from Dan, all organized by category, playlist, and search. Enjoy.